0: All right, I'm, I'm going to share some things with you. I don't really know where I'm going to start this morning, but I'm going to share some. This is going to be a montage, okay? It's going to be kind of like a, uh, a menagerie. It's going to be kind of like uh, the sum total of a lot of things that I've heard this week that's just been confirmation to me. Uh, we've been up at, uh, at Morningstar. At, we've been on the mothership. And uh, you'd have to be there to to really understand what that means. But we've been at Morningstar. Um, Right off the bat this morning, let me tell you something. I mentioned about celebrating the little things. Did you know? I think many of you recognize this, what I'm about to say. But as I begin, let me just ask a question. Did you know that I met people who traveled halfway across the world, just to get an experience or a taste of what we have every Friday night right here. I'm going to say that again. I met people who traveled halfway across the world to have what we have here every Friday night. Three guys from Switzerland I had lunch with one day came in to Fort Mill. They flew in the day before the conference. They were there. I began to engage them in conversation. And those three guys, I asked them, I said, when are you guys going home? Oh, the day after the conference. So I said, let me get this right. You traveled all the way from Switzerland to come to Fort Mill for three days, and then you're going home. Yes, and we're so happy to be here. When we got engaged in the conference, I'm I'm kind of bringing you up to what we're going to talk about. When we got engaged in the conference, and as as Steve, in in the afternoon sessions at the Advanced Prophetic Conference, in the afternoon sessions, that's a time for clinic. That's when they do what we do here, and they teach people how to do it. Okay? It's a really cool thing. Steve Thompson got up. He's the equipper, he's the prophetic daddy. And so he gets up and he asks a question. He said, okay, he said, how many of you are here uh, at at Morningstar for the first time? You've never been here before. About half the hands went up. You know, that excited him. excited me too. I'm not real surprised at that, but the answer to the next question shocked me. He said, how many of you have never been to a prophetic conference and you've never prophesied over anybody? Did you know that at least half of the people in that room raised their hand? I almost fell out of my chair. I was not prepared for half the people in that room. Which how many how many people were there, Jim? You just give me just help me guess here. While he's thinking about this, how many of y'all have been to Fort Mill? Okay, to the Morning Star Camp. Okay? You know how you know how big that place is. It was wall-to-wall chairs in the atrium. You couldn't put another chair in there. It was like two acres of chairs. Can I guess minimum five hundred people? Maybe six, maybe more? I'm a poor guesser. Not only was the floor full of the chairs, but up in the up in the atrium, on the on the walkways and the balconies that surrounded the speaking area, people were just They were leaning up against the rails and sitting in chairs listening to what was going on. Half the people in that place had never done that before. You know what that tells me? It tells me that there is a hunger in the body of Christ all across this world to be able to make contact with the supernatural God that made them. He also made them a supernatural being. And in these days that we're living in, there is a desire to learn to be more like Him and to do what He does. People are beginning to wake up. It does me a lot of good. That just struck me. The second thing is, is the courage of those individuals to be in a room full of weird people. Okay? And to have the courage... To walk up and say, okay, I've never done this before. It's never been done to me. The Word says that I can do this, so I'm here. Teach me. Show me how. Can I share with you a couple of experiences as we kind of wade into this thing this morning? The first day, Jim and I were in the same group, in the same area. They broke us up into groups. And what they said do was get with one individual, don't tell them anything about yourself, and get something, get a word for that individual. Just, you know, if it's, y'all, know y'all know the drill here. If, it's a, if you see a picture, if you hear a word, if you have an impression, whatever your first response is in the spirit for this person, share that with them. Okay, now put that on hold just a second. When Jim and I arrived on Thursday, we missed the first session, we go to the registration booth, we register and we go through the process, and the lady asked us, she said, would you like some personal prophetic ministry time? Because as you know, if you go to Morningstar, you sign up for that, and they'll give you about 15 minutes in a room with three strangers, and they'll just rock your world. And so I looked at Jim, and and Jim looked at me, and I said, you know, I I told the lady, I said, I I don't need that, it's okay, let somebody else have it, because it was a pile of folks, I said, let somebody else have my place. I'm good. And I made the comment to Jim as we were walking back to I said, I said, I'm okay. I got enough prophetic words to last me about two more years, and then I'll need one. I said, it's okay. I was, I was okay with that. I didn't, I didn't need the personal time. And so as, as we got into, as I engaged the first guy, he was from um, like Buffalo, New York. And uh, his name was Jerry, and the little tag I had was Jerry, so it was a pair of Jerry's. And we was talking there, and um, uh, we, Steve prayed for us to get something. And, and um, I turned to this guy, and I said, you want me to go first? He said, yeah. And so I spoke over him, uh, and it was right on the mark. And then it was, then, then I said, okay. I said, you want, you want to, you got something? I don't have anything for you. And this guy felt so bad. See, he'd never done this before. And he was there full of courage and wanting to do this, but he didn't get anything. And I said, I said look, Jerry, I said, let me, say, let me tell you something. I said, so this guy, I pointed to Jim. I said, here's my partner over here. I said, when we came up here, we talked with each other, and I told him that I didn't need a word at this conference, and so it's okay. I appreciate and admire your honesty. You didn't try to make anything up. And little dude He kind of brightened up. He was a short guy about like this. He kind of brightened up, you know, and it made him feel good because he didn't come up to the plate, swing and miss at his first opportunity. Isn't that cool how God works? Now, as a side to that, (laughs) it's a... I learned something through that process, even though it was good for him for me to say that. God, you know, I I see God was working in that. He kind of put me there, and he gave me this to tell this guy so he didn't feel like he was about this short or something. But I learned something a little later on. Uh, Never say, you don't need a word. Okay? Never say that. So, I repent before you in sackcloth and ashes that... I said, I don't need a word because I'm going to share something else with you later that rocked my world. There's three things up there this week that rocked my world. It was a time of divine appointments, and I'm going to share some of that with you. Not all of it, but I'm going to share some of it. So anyway, I got this next dude. Did y'all get the the email on uh, prophetic words and stopped up pipes? Okay, if you didn't get it, raise your hand. It's okay. Chris didn't get it. He don't have email. Okay. Prophetic words and stopped up pipes. Okay. This guy, he was from somewhere else up there, and, and I spoke to him. He, he gave me a real good word. It was good. Concerning a person that I know, and he gave me a word for them or about them. That's good. I said, okay, good. And then uh, I shared with him what I saw for him. And to make a long story short, it was a prophetic word on how to deal with a plumbing problem. It's true, honest to goodness. He was so excited. He was so excited about that. And then I think it was Jim, did you come? And they were, we were going to switch and do another person. And was it you that pointed out this young lady to me? Jim kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, this, this lady here um, needs some ministry. And he, he asked me if I would go and sit with her. So I went and sat down with her and just kind of engaged her in conversation. And uh, as we were sitting there, uh, they sort of blew the whistle on the time limit, and so I didn't really get to minister to her. But as we were getting up, I just really felt a strong unction to, to speak to this woman. She had uh, MS, whatever that's, multiple sclerosis, and she walked with a cane. This a young black lady, probably in her 30s. And uh, I said, everybody was just breaking up and, and fixing to check out and go eat lunch or whatever it was. And I said, can I, can I just share what I got for you before we leave? She said, of course. And I had talked with her enough to know that she'd, she'd never been to a Morning Star function. She'd never did, a, did the prophetic thing, and she didn't know how it worked. And I said, just let me share what I got with you. And I said, you know, I said there's a, there's, a, there's a young man in your life. And I said, I see you and this young man walking down the street. And I said, he's about this much taller than you are. He's walking on your left-hand side. And as you're walking down the street, you're both smiling, you're happy, and you're, be, you're engaging each other in conversation. And I said, what I see behind you as you're walking along, I see just a wave of influence that's just that's, that's coming out all around you. It's like this wave. You know, it's like a boat wake, You know how that wake comes behind a boat? I said, that's the way it is. And I said, I said, I believe the Lord wants me to tell you that you have influence with this young man. And whatever you're doing, keep doing it because he's getting it. Her uncle came later, talked with uh, me and Jim, and he said that the young man i he said it was he said it was a, it was a very accurate word, and it was a simple thing okay i mean it's not extro- it was not extravagant <laughs> said the young man you saw was her brother who's been trying to raise his only child who's a daughter, and he can 't raise the girl and he gave the girl to this young woman that I spoke over, and the young woman that I spoke over was about at her wits' end with this Young woman and everybody in the family was getting frustrated because of there were some problems involved there. And I don't know the whole story. He didn't tell us the whole story. But she had been wrestling with the, with the question as to whether do I keep this young girl with me or not because she didn't know if she was doing any good. And it, it changed her life. Jim gave some words that changed people's lives. Okay? So what I want you to know is this. What we have and the simplicity of what we distribute based on what God says may not be so super fantastic to us, but when it's delivered in the right context and when there's a divine appointment made, it is a, I'm going to tell you, I think it is a sin to withhold it. You hear me? If God gives you something for somebody, if you're in a checkout line at Walmart, if you're having your oil chain somewhere, if you are at school, if you are at work, if you are in your home, if you're on the telephone, if you're at church, you meet somebody on the sidewalk, if you're at the beach, God gives you a word for somebody. You need to express that in a non-threatening way the way we do it here because I think it's a sin not to because if you don't, you may have missed an opportunity to change somebody's life. Okay, that's the importance of what we do here on Fridays. And I'm telling you, there is an unending ocean of people out there who need this and who actually long for this and they would rather have this more than food when they're hungry. And I never, and I'm stressing something here, I never, ever, ever want you to get to the place where you take the words and the messages and the impressions that God gives you for somebody never, ever, ever get to the place where those are taken for granted and not celebrated. You can do this. You know you can do this. Okay? Now, that's the, that was what was kind of going on up there in terms of the general population of people. As the speakers began to speak, there there, there seemed to be at least one common thread that ran the gamut through every message. And I want to get to that this morning. I want to share this with you because it's very, very, very important. Look at this slide with this scripture. This is not going to be our primary scripture, but this is, is, is something for you to think about. Isaiah 45, 11. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker. What does that mean? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker. What is that to the left of that colon? What's that saying? Okay. Is it one person or is it Two. Two. The Lord, the Holy One of Israel, is separate and apart from His Maker. So what we're seeing here, this is concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. Right here. This is an expression, this is a statement that's being made through Isaiah concerning a conversation that has went on and a declarative statement that has went on in heaven itself between God the Father and God the Son. And God the Father and God the Son wants us to get this. You may have never even seen this scripture before. How many of y'all have never seen it before? Raise your hand. Let me see. Come on. Be be honest. Seen it but didn't ring a bell. Okay. Okay, that's right too. Listen, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of scriptures I've seen that I ain't seen and it rings the bell with me. And I've been reading the Word ever since I could read the Word. And there's new stuff in there all the time. This is one of the new things i discovered about nine years ago. A young man who was a part of our ministry at the time, we were on Walnut Street, came up to me one day and said, Brother Keith, look at this. Do you know what this means? And I looked at it. And from my Baptist orientation... I said, this is what I, I, I did. I, I had no clue. I said, hey, that's cool, isn't it? <laughs> he said, but do you know what this means? I said, no, I really don't. He said, if I'm reading this thing right, he says, we can actually, let's read it all the rest of it. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. He said, if I'm reading this thing right, what we are being told to do is stand before heaven itself and say, tell me. Clue me in. Fill in the blanks. Tell me I command heaven itself based on what heaven has already expressed. I command for words to be released concerning two things. Watch this, this is so wonderful. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, that's one thing, and concerning the work of my hands you command me. God the Father, God the Son is saying through the mouth of Isaiah the prophet, if you want to know, he said, he said I've got things that are coming concerning my family. If you want to know the things that are, concern, things that are coming concerning my family, my sons, You ask me and I'll tell you. Then the other thing is, and concerning the work of my hands. In other words, the work that I have done in the creation and and the processes I've set in order, anything concerning the creation and anything concerning my family, you ask me, you demand, I tell you, and I will tell you those things. Now, Okay, have I got a handle on this? Is, is this what's going on? I think so. You, you know, some of y'all look a little confused, but that's okay because you didn't know this existed until just a while ago. <laughs> but now, am I on the right track here? Okay, now. Asking me things to come concerning my family or my sons or you or concerning the creation I've made and what is engaged in that, you command me and I'll tell you. And you just go ahead and read the rest of all that if you want to and it will kind of come to that conclusion. Why is this important? I'm asking a question. Why is this important? To know things that are coming concerning the family of God and concerning His creation. Why is this important to know? Give me some help here, anybody. This is it. This is it. What kind of times are we living in? We're living in troubled times. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and say this and be on record. We don't know how, how bad things are. And I'll go ahead and say this. The people who are in charge of administering the government don't know how bad things are. And I'm not saying anything about the current administration because, you know, I'm I'm just not, but but those people, the people in the current administration are the same people who've been in sort of power for the last decade or two anyway. And so the faces have just changed and the titles have changed, but really it's the same crowd up there in Washington. They don't know what's coming down the pipe. They don't know if the stimulus plan will work or not work. They don't know how it's all going to filter out. I'm going to tell you what, those folks know about as much about it as I do. Now, I remember what Grandpa said years ago. Grandpa said this. He said, he said, son, remember this. You can never borrow your way out of debt. never happened. I personally tried that, and it didn't work. I think probably lots of you have tried that, and it didn't work. You can never borrow yourself out of debt. We don't know what's coming down the pike, okay? Those of you, I'm speaking specifically now to those of you who've been at Pwac a long time, when we were down on Walnut Street and we were just getting started and we were beginning to learn this prophetic thing, do you remember this statement that I made and that we we agreed to? Here's the statement. We believe that we're going to be a prophetic voice to the city and the county that we live in. And that God is going to give us stuff for the city and the county... That will help them know what to do. Y'all remember that? How many times have we done that? I'll give you a guess. This many. This many. How many times have I encouraged us to do that? This many. It's one of those countless number of statements that we have agreed to and believed in that's just kind of become antiquated history. It's got dust on it. It's on the shelf somewhere. And we haven't really picked that thing up and actually exercised it. Now, I'll take responsibility for that because I let it go. And we got so involved in doing what we do that we sort of forgot part of the purpose in doing what we do. Rick got up yesterday morning. Rick Joyner got up yesterday morning. Or was it? No. No, uh, it was the night before. What was it? It was Friday night. When y'all were having such a party down here. He got up in Fort Mill and the first thing he said is, I got a sobering message for you. I uh, sitting over there. He said, I got a phone call. And I said, oh, my God. You know, <laughs> I, was holding my, I got a sobering message for you. And here's what he said. And I'm getting to the heart of this thing. Just bear with me. There, there's, this needs to be set up by what I'm saying. He said, I got a phone call today from Washington. He said, and the voice on the, he never said who it was. He didn't have to, but he said, the voice on the other end began to tell me that folks up there who really know what's going on are terrified because they don't know what to do. But he began to say there's some good things going on up there because uh, there some of them are engaging now in uh, in, in prayer, okay? He said some of them are actually getting saved up there because this problem is so big they can't handle it, and they're beginning to have to look to God to to find out what they need to do. But he said the people who know what's going on are actually terrified. And he wasn't telling me, I, I, I knew this, okay? And I'm telling you something that you probably already knew too or felt in the spirit. This is just... This is real. And here's what he said. he said. He said, I've been asked in two weeks to go to Washington, D.C., to the Capitol building, and meet with a group of legislatures and have a prophetic roundtable to see what it is God will say. He said, They've asked me to come. Isn't that incredible? We have been waiting. How many of y'all remember that back in 07, we began to look at each other in this house and we'd say, Something's coming. <laughs> something's coming. And we don't know what it is, but something's coming. And it's going to be big. And I got on the phone and I called all my prophet friends and I said, We're feeling down here that something's coming, but we don't know what it is. Something's coming. What are y'all hearing? I I will forget what Aaron Evans said. He said, yes. He said, we know something's coming. I said, what is it? He says, we don't know what's coming. <laughs> Isn't that the way it is in a prophetic church? How many times have you heard, we know something's coming and it's going to be big, but we don't know what it is if you put us to task on it. There are two steps to this whole process. There is discerning and knowing that something is going to happen, but then there is this other quantum leap thing that says, I know what's going to happen. I know it's coming. And this is the thing we identify. This is what's coming. The problem with the church today, for the most part, we have not made that quantum step over here from we know something is going to happen to this is what's going to happen. Okay? Now, right here is one of the countless scriptures in the Word of God that says, if you want to know what's coming... Uh, concerning the family or this creation, you ask me and I'll tell you now is this true or is God a liar? It's true. you know the problem there's two problems associated with this problem is number one, we're afraid to ask. why are we afraid to ask? Two things. number one, we're afraid of what we might not hear. Number two, we're afraid of what we might hear. And number one is not as bad as number two because if you ask number two and you find out what it is, then you're under obligation to speak that thing. Because like I said earlier, I believe it's a sin to get a prophetic word or a prophecy and not release that thing. I believe that. Now, you know, that's me, okay, that's my theology, okay, that's me. You're not probably not going to find that here as said it is, as us saith, the Lord. But I'm going to tell you what, from what I've seen in the lives of people who have received prophetic words, the way it's changed their life, I, there's something wrong about it at the very minimum. But we're afraid really to hear what God has to say for fear of what we might have to do. We need to repent for that. I'm telling you, we need to repent for that because god has the ear of his people and that is the primary conduit through which his message to the world is going to be voiced and sometimes it's the message of salvation sometimes it is the message of healing and most of the time it's a prophetic message and if we don't hear those those trains of thoughts those sentences those utterances those impressions if we don't hear those things and give them out then what's been lost You know, we might not be in the mess we're in in this country if we had been using this principle for the last 200 years. Now, there have been men and women who have lived who've done this. Bible example. Paul, when he was arrested and they were carrying him to Rome in a good way to meet Caesar, (laughs) in a bad way to be put on trial, but an angel come to him and, and and told him everything's going to be all right. And then he expressed that to the folks in the boat. And he said, you know, he said, uh, it's got good news for you. He said, um, uh, there's going to be a storm. We're going to have a wreck. Everything's going to be shipwrecked. But y'all going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. But they decided to go anyway. You get out on the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea. This big storm comes up. Y'all know the story. that The... the The ship crashes, they become shipwrecked, but nobody's life was lost. Paul stood up and said, I told you. There's been people who said, I've told you. But that's been just a small percentage of people. We have an obligation, people, to use this this precious gift that we've been given, that we so fondly embrace here in this house. We have... We have been put in a position to embrace a gift that can literally change the world. It can change Jessup, Georgia. It can change Wayne County. It can change South Georgia. We have an obligation and a duty to act on what we've heard from God, to ask Him for this stuff so we can hear it, so we can give it out, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And now we know for a fact that the lawmakers in this country are beginning to look to Christian leaders who've been hearing from God, who've got a track record of it, who are on the market, on the money, most of the time, they want to hear you come and sit down and say, okay, what are you hearing God say? You know what that's the expression of? That's an expression of, we've not been hearing God and we've been doing something right, but now we want this other part of the picture here. There's got to be a way out of this mess we've created. That's sort of like repentance, isn't it? Sort of like Repentance. So anyway, setting up this message. Next slide, please. You were born for bad times. Boy, that's a twist on the charismatic message, isn't it? But you know what? This is what's beginning to flow out of the camp. There is a revelation going on in the camp today that is embracing the destiny that God has hidden in bad times for His people. You were not made, really, for good times. You were made for bad times. You were made for situations when the chips are down, when people are about ready to give up on hope. You were made by God to be a voice that can speak to a situation of hopelessness and bring hope to it. That can speak to a situation of lovelessness and bring love to it. You were made to operate in a situation where there's there's no peace, but what you say will bring peace. You were made for that. And God has set up the timing on the day in which we live. And He has kept you until the last days of the age so you can participate in the thing that's going on to bring Him glory, to bring peace, to bring hope, to bring love, to bring opportunity, to bring blessing into the lives of not only the people around you, but the places that you live. Y'all getting this? Are some light switches going on this morning? Are some things beginning now to be OK, right now that up till this morning has not been OK with you. Have you been like me? Have you cussed and fussed and moaned and groaned about the fact that you don't have money anymore, and you don't, want, don't, don't know what tomorrow's going to bring? Are you, com- are you concerned about your own little world and where your, your house may be in jeopardy, or your car may be in jeopardy, or your 40K1 okay is is slowly shrinking down? Listen, are, 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 have, have you been with me there, worrying about all this stuff? Failing to see the big picture, being blinded by the immediate to the point where you cannot see the glorious. You were made for bad times. You are the only creation on the face of this earth that really was made for bad times. Think about it. Are the children of the devil made for bad times? You know, the, the, they don't know the difference between good times and bad times. Can the children of the enemy, can the enemy's army and host do anything to affect the situation for good? Would they if they could? Of course not. So God has placed something unique in this creation in which we live. Unique to this earth. It's called the sons of God. He's given them gifts and discernment and all sorts of wonderful things that they can use to when the bad times really begin to happen, they can go in there and change the world in which they live. Okay? You got that? Are you okay with it? Here, in Genesis... Is that really chapter 16? I got the wrong chapter. Yeah, it's the wrong chapter. That's Genesis 41. Is it Genesis 41? Y'all probably was looking at that and just saying, my gosh. That's a typographical error. That's an error that always happens between the first cup of coffee and the second one, early on Sunday morning. Okay? This is an accident that happened when you had not had enough java yet. It's either 40 or 41. I've got it marked here. Let me pull it up because this is so important. I don't want you to miss what I'm about to say. 41. Genesis 41. Pharaoh had a bad night. He had a dream from God. And he woke up and it bothered him so he called all the witches the warlocks the magicians the sorcerers the soothsayers he called everybody. he got he got he, because he had a bad night they were having a bad morning he called them all into council and into chambers and he said i've had this dream here's what it is you need to tell me what i've dreamed and what it was it was two dreams from god that told pharaoh about a coming famine and so he's got his court full of all these people who are tied up in the occult, Who's supposed to know, listen, they're supposed to know what's coming. They're supposed to be able to interpret the dream. Now, Pharaoh's not saved, but he gets two dreams from God. Think about this. What does that do to your theology? That tells you that people who are not saved can get dreams from God. He can communicate with them too. Glorious day. We don't need to think we're so special or when somebody comes to us with a dream that needs to be interpreted they're lost, we don't need to think that thing came from the devil because it just might come from God. Because God's continually speaking not only to us but them. He doesn't hold his whispers to any part of the creation. So here are these people standing before Pharaoh and he's upset. He's not a happy camper. He had not slept all night. He's the king. He wants to know. These people are supposed to be able to tell him what's going on because that's been their track record. All of a sudden... Everybody who'd been here and don't hear anymore or had been hearing from somewhere, they were not hearing anymore. Their master had nothing to say. Therefore, they had nothing to say. Now, do you know what really could happen in the ancient world when when this sort of thing occurred? If you were standing in their place and the boss was at the front of the room, the one who held, held absolute power, could not be challenged. Could not, you know, couldn't, you couldn't talk back. He asked you a question and you don't answer. What could be the results of that? Boy, he'd fix you where you couldn't say anything else ever again. And so I'm, what you're not told in this passage of Scripture is these people were terrified. They knew they didn't have the answer. But there was somebody in the room. The butler, the butler did it. (laughs) The butler had been in prison with this young dude who was a Hebrew. He steps up and he said, Pharaoh, can I talk to you just a second? Everybody out here was terrified because they just knew they was fixing to die. Can I speak to you just a second? He said, there's a young Hebrew guy, young Jewish dude, down there in the prison who interpreted a dream of mine two years ago. If you'll call him up here, he can tell you what this thing means. All of a sudden, there was a collective sigh in the whole room because they'd been given a reprieve. Because, see, Pharaoh really didn't know the difference between what was God and what was not God. He figured this dude down here in the dungeon was operating on the same gifting or or the same source of orientation or or where his gift came from as the rest of them. So everybody got a reprieve for just a few minutes. And so they go and get Joseph. Bring Joseph in. Pharaoh says... He tells him, here's my dream and you interpret it. You know what he responds? It's not in me. (laughs) Don't look to me. But God, Yahweh, will give you an answer of peace. Pharaoh tells the dream. Boom, all of a sudden... I'm talking about instantaneously, without being privy to the dreams, instantaneously, Joseph's gift, his divine gift that came from him from heaven's throne room itself, the place where the dream came from, was also the place from where the interpretation came from. He told Joseph about it, and Joseph just began to spout that thing off. Told him about the seven years of, of plenty and the seven years of famine, and the need to be storing up stuff and using wisdom. When he got through these, and Pharaoh just wanted, you know, what do we do? And Joseph said, well, here's your answer. Okay, revelation, interpretation, and application, always three parts to a prophecy. Revelation was the dream. The interpretation was Joseph. And then Joseph gives the application. Here's the application. Tell you what, Pharaoh, find a man who can operate in wisdom and discernment and put him over this project so that you can save up in the years of good against the years of bad that's coming. You do that and you'll be okay. Somebody asked the question, where can he be found? And Pharaoh said, here's the man. You know, to be somebody who was just as lost as a bedbug. you know, he had, he had sense enough to know, here was the man. It was the guy who interpreted and answered. It was not all these charlatans out there in the crowd. You know, I really like to know what he did with that bunch. When Joseph began to be his, 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 his mouthpiece, Now, this is not in Scripture, okay? This is is me, all right? Here's what I think happened. If it didn't happen immediately, I think probably over the course of time, Pharaoh had a revelation. And, And see, now, he had to pay, all right? He had to pay for the upkeep and the maintenance of all these people and their families and their houses, okay? I mean, they lived in the court of the king And the king blessed them with money and houses and influence and stuff. I wonder how long it took him to realize, you know, i got one dude right here. He's got a direct line to the God of heaven. And Pharaoh later declaimed, he said, you're the God, Your God's the God. When he realized that and he saw a low maintenance dude right here and he looked out in this, this bunch and he saw all that wickedness and he began to get revelation on how he'd been used and abused and lied to, and nobody saw it coming, and they'd have stood there and sucked him dry just like a leech. He'd have probably took a sword, and he'd have got rid of that part of his problem. Anyway, that's just me, okay? That's just how it could have come down. But anyway, he said, "It's not in me, God to get, but, but God it's not in me, Pharaoh, but God will give you the answer of peace." So. Joseph is promoted to second in the land. He's given a special... He rides right behind the the Pharaoh to all of the appointments and stuff, you know. And so Joseph, in a time, in a bad time, a time that was critical, not only in Joseph's history, but in the history of the earth, Joseph stepped into a vacuum where nobody knew the answer, and he had the answer. Because concerning the work Of the hand of Yahweh, Joseph heard. And because God saved Egypt through that, Joseph's family was able to come up in their time of famine. They were placed in Goshen and they prospered right along with Joseph and grew to be a great and mighty nation. And as they say, you know the rest of that story. You were made... bad times. You were made, as the book of Esther says, you were, who knows, you were born for a time like this. It is time for us to stop whining and moaning and groaning about the bad stuff going on and what could happen. And it's time for us to get down on our knees and have prayer meetings and say, God, you've told me to ask you concerning these times. Now I'm asking you, God, what's the answer? Because I'm going to tell you something. The lost and the hurting, and those who are not at peace, those who are about to lose everything they've got, they're going to be watching the church of Jesus Christ. If she is functioning properly, they're going to be seeing the good things happen. They're going to be seeing the peace, the joy, and the love. They're going to be seeing that. And they're going to be coming through that door right there. And they're going to be saying, Tell me about this. How do you get past this? How, do you, how can your God help me? What's the answer? And I'm going to tell you something. We better be standing right here and we'll say, well, Here's the answer. That better happen. Are we in agreement? I'm not saying maybe it'll happen. I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm telling you that better happen. There were some folks here Friday night, I think, that were about at that place and God met them where they were. That's what I've heard anyway. I mean, I had nothing but an email. You know, I was sitting there talking with somebody. And the little phone started buzzing on the table and started spinning around like that, and I grabbed it and punched my little handy dandy BlackBerry button, and boom! It was an email on what happened on Friday night, and I just sat in there, bearing Fort Bill, rejoicing in the Lord, because I knew what was going on here was the real deal. I trust y'all not to manufacture anything. Some folks got some answers. That's the way, the church is to operate in bad times. I want to encourage you where you are today to keep on doing what you're doing and accelerate in it. If you know, Don't be afraid to ask. And don't be afraid of the answer you get because the answer you get is going to be the answer for somebody. Don't be afraid of the answer.